Amen and amen. Boy, tell you what, praise God. Isn't it a blessing to be in the house of the Lord on the last Sunday of the year? I tell you what, I am thrilled to be here. I never come to the end of the year where I don't just get so excited because God's grace has been here all along. Let's give him our praise here this morning. God is good. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I just uh, been, we've had such a tremendous Christmas season. We kind of wondered if we should have, you know, any extra services. We, of course, are committed to meeting on Sundays, but we just figured that uh, if a country ever needed the hope that the Christmas message would be, would be now. And so I'm glad to tell you that we had full services. Uh, well, I should, maybe I should say well-attended services uh, in uh, the two dramatic presentations and also on Christmas Eve. And we had numbers of people, don't have the exact written number yet, but we had numbers of people who I know of their own testimony trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Are we glad we met together? Yes, I am so glad. And someday in heaven, one of those precious saints is going to come up to me and say, Pastor Tim, he's going to talk to the rest of you. Thank you for keeping the church open so that I could find Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, folks, there are times when people just basically drag their bodies into church, and this is their last hope. And so we need to stay open, and I'm glad that you're here, and it's just a beautiful time to be here at the end of the year. Never a time I think we come to the end of the year where I don't also just am so grateful for God's provision. Solomon in the Old Testament, he said this, he said in the book of Proverbs, he said, a faithful man who can find. The whole context there is about, uh, you know, uh, standing faithful in the word and in your integrity. But I thought about that. A faithful man, a faithful woman, a faithful people, who can find? Well, I've got an answer to Solomon. I have found a faithful people. And I want to tell you folks, you have been so faithful in 2020. I mean, even when we weren't even meeting together, they said, you know what? My tithe is still belongs with the Lord. And I'm not going to spend it on anything. I'm going to give it to the Lord. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that are online. God bless you, our online family. I know many of you uh, have been so faithful and for, for medical reasons. And uh, you just couldn't be here. But I thank you. We love you. And, and uh, I know uh, with all this fancy new broadcasting equipment that's uh, getting pretty good for you folks. But I don't want you to. And we're fine if you need to take and. Really, and I might say just as much time as you need, as long as it's only two more weeks. And, uh, but honestly, as much time as you need to feel comfortable. But uh, we want you to come back here and don't rely on these beautiful cameras and all of our great equipment. You ought to, sometime you get a chance to go up there and ask if you can see all the broadcasts from you. You just won't even believe it. I mean, I definitely couldn't believe it when we were signing the check. But uh, anyway, it's a blessing, <laughs> and uh, we're grateful. And here we are in this beautiful place at the end of the year, all paid for. Jesus did that. <laughs> Jesus did that. <laughs> no, nothing. No, none of us. That's Jesus. I'll tell you what. Thank God for his amazing grace. Well, 
Uh, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. And I just will tell you, if you're uh, there online or even in here, you can certainly give through your app, through the uh, online uh, on the web. And uh, also as you leave, there's offering plates there and you can uh, give by cash or by check. Let's go to the Lord and ask God to provide in 2021 far greater than we've ever had before because we got so much to do and so little time. The Lord is coming. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we just ask that you would bless the financial uh, resources and the outreach of this church. Oh, God, bless these saints, a faithful person who can find. Well, Lord, I think I found them right here the home church of Lodi Stockton. I pray that, God, you will bless them for their faithfulness, favor them, make your face to shine upon their marriages, their family, their health. And, Lord, I pray we right now we just lift up, Lord, those that are not feeling well. Some are even very sick, Lord. Others who are first responders, they're right out there in the thick of it. Lord, just bless them. Put a hedge of protection around them. And we pray, God, that you would just be with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's open our Bibles here this morning. We're going to find ourselves at the beginning in Revelation, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 6. We'll take a few minutes to get there. Who is God? Now, let me just say, uh, we've had this continuing series for a few weeks now. We're going to continue it, but there's going to be a little uh, parentheses. And uh, for a few years now, in the month of January, we have taken the opportunity to study perhaps the most exciting book in the Bible, and that is the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're going to begin, uh, we're going to continue uh, verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we'll pick it up next week, and we'll continue through the uh, month of January, and then we'll be back uh, to finishing out these tremendous series on the attributes of God. How can we know God? How can we be like God if we don't know who He is? You know, it's been said that people are like the God they worship. I've heard people say, you know, people, you ever wondered how people look like their animals they have, you know? There's something about that. It almost seems true. But if, uh, you know, if you get your eyes on Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. And so that's why I believe this series on the attributes of God is absolutely vital. And today we're going to talk about the holiness of God. But beginning next week, you'll be thrilled as uh, we've tried to find out what in the world is going on. And honestly, when you read the book of Revelation, what we're seeing right now, just a, just a tip of an iceberg. And uh, people are saying, oh, I'll be so glad when all this is over. Folks, you really think this is all going to get over? Folks, we got to have more than just a hope of a vaccine. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the blessed Word of God. And that's what gives us hope this morning. And so I'm glad to be able to be here and talk about this morning the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Now, to understand the holiness of God, we need to understand that in many ways, this particular attribute is the most central attribute to God. Yes, we know God is love, and we love to think about that. We know that God is full of mercy, and as we saw a couple of weeks ago, God is a God, He is a good God. He's good all the time. Yes, God is eternal. Folks, God's holiness really is that which makes God, God. Dr. Renald Showers, a great uh, theologian, a great conservative theologian, said the foundational truth of the holiness of God 
is the revelation of Him. I mean, this, it is the, the getting and understanding the holiness of God really perhaps is as much as anything understanding God Himself. How important is this attribute? This is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times, twice in Scripture, in Isaiah chapter 6 and also in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. It says, holy, holy, holy. Now, if God says something once, that's enough to settle it. If God says something twice, then I think he's trying to get us to understand it. Like when the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, rejoice. (laughs) Again, I say, rejoice. That's emphasis. But I'm telling you what, when God says something three times, holy, 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 folks, I think that's a how many times do I have to tell you moment. God is holy. Think about it. No place in Scripture does it say God is love, love, love. It never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is justice, justice, justice. As wonderful as those attributes are, it does say, however, that God is holy, holy, holy. I believe an understanding of God's holiness is not just an intellectual understanding of theology, but I think it is the core truth in our life that helps us in obedience and helps us in our Christian living, helps us in worship. In fact, I can tell you, I don't think I worship God any deeper than when I understand the holiness of God. And if you'll look back over the history of the New Testament church, go all the way back to those early days of the church with the great apostles, go all the way back to the book of Acts, follow church history, you'll find that the church is at its greatest when it has a deep sense of the holiness of God. When a church loses a sense of the holiness of God, it loses the very sense of which it's there for. We are here to be the salt and the light of our community. And I think most theologians would agree with me on this, that the topic of holiness is perhaps the most difficult to explain because it is what makes God, God. Now we can explain the actual Hebrew and Greek word. It means to be set apart. It means to be separate and unique. But I will tell you, understanding God is like trying to describe how hot the sun is. There's just really no way to describe how consuming the fire of God is. And yet today we're going to look into scripture and the least we'll get today is a deeper appreciation for who God is in his holiness. And so let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Would you join me right now? And would you ask that God would prepare your heart to receive the word? And for those of you online, pray with us right now, would you? Stop and pray. Father, we thank you for these that are here. I thank you for the opportunity to be here in this beautiful auditorium. Lord, what a, what a miracle. The miracle in San Joaquin County. Thank you. And I praise you. Lord, it's all you. But Lord, this morning we need you, and I thank you for this beautiful place we can be here, safe and clean, and Lord, I just thank you. What a privilege it is to meet together. We'll bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Holy. If you're taking notes, and you can take notes via your app, or you can take them uh, by on just uh, writing them out, but if you're taking notes, you're going to write down that holy means set apart. 
That's the most basic and the most, uh, uh, the most definitive operating definition we can give. Now, there are many things in Scripture that are set apart or holy. There are people that are set apart. There are days that are set apart, as in a feast day, or of course, the, the most common day is the Sabbath day. God called it a holy day. God talked about uh, different places being set apart, different furniture being set apart. Now, let's think about that. A piece of furniture can be holy. Is it perfect? No, that piece of furniture is not perfect. But it can be holy in that it's set apart. Is that person sinless? No. But they can be holy in that they're set apart. Like Samuel was set apart for the ministry or Isaiah. Or a day. Is it a perfect thing? No. But it is set apart. But God's holiness is different. The holiness of a day or a person or a place is to be set apart. But God's holiness, that's why He is holy. 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 God is utterly holy. He is completely holy. He is absolutely pure. Habakkuk, the great Old Testament worship leader, that tremendous book of, that reminds us, and he has this great conversation with God. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one. He calls him by his name, holy. Verse 13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. And listen to this, thou canst not look on iniquity, meaning God can't even look on sin. Is God merciful? Oh yes, you bet. Is God long-suffering? Oh yes, you bet. Is God patient and loving? You bet. But folks, Never get confused. Our sin disgusts God. It is disgusting to God. He can't even look on sin. He is so holy, He can't even look at sin. Why? Because He's totally separate from humanity. He is in His holy throne, Scripture says. Look what it says further in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple or throne. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He is completely separate, distinct from sin. God is so high and so holy and so pure. He cannot tolerate sin in the least. Not in any form can God tolerate sin. We have this idea that God is this big, benevolent, you know, wonderful uh, God that just, you know, overlooks everything. Folks, never forget the only reason that a holy God can overlook anything is because of the blood of His Son. But our God is holy. He cannot even look on sin. Look what it says in Psalm 47 and verse 8. God reigneth. How does He reign? He reigns over the heathen. But how does He do that? He sits upon the throne of His holiness. How does God rule? He rules in absolute purity. Never made the wrong decision. I tell you, you talk about decisions. This year, 2020, I read one, I heard one uh, pastoral uh, uh, article or article on pastoral leadership, and it said that this year many pastors are suffering from decision fatigue. <laughs> I'll guarantee that. 
I will say amen. We will make a decision on Monday, and by Wednesday, we'll totally change. I mean, it's just been a crazy year. But I'll tell you one thing. God has never made a wrong decision. And I'm not sure all the decisions we made have been right, but I'll tell you one thing. God never makes a wrong decision. He ever does everything right and holy and pure. Now, God's holiness means several things. And we could go a lot of different directions, but there are at least three episodes in Scripture where mortal man met a divine God in His holiness. And let's look at those three episodes, and I think we'll be able to understand several things about God's holiness. First of all, God's holiness is exhibited in His nature. In His nature, our response then is a clear recognition of our own sinfulness. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6, as I mentioned earlier. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, in this passage, it is a symbol of all those who serve the Lord. How many want to serve the Lord in 2021? Raise your hand. You want to serve the Lord somehow? Yes, we all want to serve the Lord. Then this passage is for you. Now, you may not be a prophet like Isaiah, but you probably are a prophet to your children, or if you're a wife, you're a prophet to your husband. I know you are. Honey, you shouldn't wear that today. That looks a little funny. And uh, you ought to take a bath, sweetie. And anyway, you're a prophet. And so all of us serve the Lord. Isaiah was serving the Lord. Look what it says in verse number one, in the year. And that's uh, seven centuries before Christ. King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord. He was sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. One of the best kings that Judah ever had was Uzziah. He had a heart for God unlike almost any of his predecessors. He was a godly man. And when a godly man, a strong leader, leaves, a nation, a people can be plunged into turmoil. And that's exactly what happened when King Uzziah died. The golden age of Israel is now done. Would people continue to walk with God? Would they continue to follow the Word of God? Or would they return to the wicked idolatry of their forefathers. In that fateful moment, Isaiah was grieving. He was grieving that this leader died. And I think many of us know the feeling of a, losing a leader who's been a strong voice for God and a strong voice for the church. And we're grieved when we think of the fact that we're losing that leader. That's Isaiah. He was grieved and so in that moment, he apparently was very close to the king. And so it touched his heart. He was broken. It was in his grief he met the Lord. I say it was in his grief that he met the Lord. And I know none of us like to have grief, but I will tell you the sweetest, most precious times I've had with the Lord are in my deepest grief. When Uzziah died, brother Isaiah was broken. It just, it just killed him that this strong leader, he, he was worried about his nation. He was worried about his family. And it was then that God took him in a vision to the throne room of heaven. And there in that throne room, he saw Yahweh. Yahweh meaning creator God, seated. <laughs> he was seated. 
God wasn't up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering what's going on. Oh, I'm so worried. Everybody's worried today. God's not worried. God is not worried. He is in his throne room. And it says in his immensity and glory, Isaiah couldn't even look at God. In fact, the only thing that he could see, the Bible says, is the train of the robe. He could, as typical, like if you imagine royalty getting married, you know, on a the bride has a long train, some of it being, you know, 20, 30 feet long. Imagine just God is so holy, so majestic that the only thing Isaiah could see was just a little bit of the train of God and this great magnificence that he was surrounded with. Verse number two, and above it stood the seraphims. Who are these seraphims? They are, the actual word means fiery ones. They're just very unique angels. Notice how unique. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, meaning two, he did fly. These specialized angels, these seraphim, they were created by God. And I point out the fact they were sinless. They were sinless. They had never sinned or fallen with Lucifer and that great group of angels that became demons. So here were sinless, fiery ones. They were so holy, they were fire. And yet, even they had to cover their face with these wings in the holiness of God. In His presence, they could not even be there. They had to shield themselves because God was so entirely, completely, and totally, and completely holy. Verse 3, and they cried to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And so here, these uh, living creatures, these seraphim, the Holy Spirit reminds us that the eternal King is so holy that He fills the earth. Now, every religion on earth claims that their God is powerful. Every religion on earth claims that their God is uh, helpful and wise and perhaps good. But there's only one faith that proclaims God as holy. Not just holy, 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 holy. And that is the faith of Scripture, Christianity. Look at verse 5. Then said I, what was Isaiah's response? His response, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, because I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm not the only one that's sinful, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, folks, Isaiah was a godly man. He was a man who was praying for his country. He was a man who lived holy. He knew the Scripture. He loved Scripture. He followed the Word of God. And yet Isaiah, in his moment of understanding God's holiness, said, I am an unclean man. Woe is me. Folks, I will tell you, a real view of God's holiness leads to confession, leads to repentance. And I will tell you, if it's been a while since you cried out with Isaiah, oh God, I'm a man, I'm a woman of unclean lips. I'm a man or a woman of an unclean heart. 
God, I have an unclean mind. If it's been a while since you said that, then I would suggest this morning you've not seen a holy God. Because when you see a holy God, you will fall on your face and say, oh, God. That scripture, that passage, that wonderful parable in the New Testament where the unprofitable servant said, I have done all that you have commanded, and I'm an unprofitable servant. That's exactly how I feel. So often I'll come home on Sunday night, having given usually from Thursday to Sunday night uh, anywhere almost to 50 to 60 hours of ministry. And I will come home Sunday night between praying and studying and all the things we do. I will come home and I will say, Lord, as far as I know, I couldn't have given any more. As far as I know, I couldn't really uh, put any more into this. And yet I do know that at the end of a day like that, I still feel the same way. God, I have failed. I feel like a failure. I didn't pray like I should have. I didn't come close to who you are. I feel like I failed. Every Sunday, it's the same way. Because when you compare ourselves to the holiness of God, it can't but do anything but make us realize our own sinfulness. And rather than being a bad thing, friends, that's a good thing. Because when I see my sinfulness, I see the holiness of God. And I need His help. I need His grace. I have these white shirts, and for some reason, my wife and I, I picked up another white shirt yesterday, and I said, honey, I don't know what's happening. My neck is growing. And uh, now the rest of me is not really growing, but my neck is. Folks, I'm worried. I don't know what's going to be like in the next 10 years. But anyway, uh, I had to have a size 18 neck. And, uh, but as you can tell, this athletic body of mine, it's not a, you know, but anyway, um, so, but you know, I get these white shirts. Now, what I've noticed though about these white shirts is, is that I've had them for a few years. They look white and my precious wife, she's such a good homemaker, cleans them and irons them. But you know, I got that white shirt and I saw that hanging up there this morning next to the other. I thought, good night. Those other ones almost look yellow compared to that white new shirt. And folks, that's the way we are when God's holiness. We think, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Folks, when we get close to God, we realize how dingy, how yellow we are. Folks, God's holiness makes us understand who we are. There could be no greater illustration of holiness than to think of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This past week, we celebrated Christmas. Theologically, that's called the incarnation or the becoming of flesh of God, the Son of God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son. God the Son, who was absolutely holy in a holy place, never, the Bible says, can't even look at sin. He came and took on flesh. He was immersed in the filth of the world. The absolute filth into a terrible situation. Roman, uh, they were, the Roman government was overseeing that area. They were killing people, just like our, many of our government today feel like it's all right to kill an unborn baby. 
That's what they were doing, killing people outside of the womb. Well, there's no different there. Democrats feel like that's what we ought to do now. Kill them. Lay them on the table and kill them. Those little babies born alive. What a wicked world they lived in. There was all kinds of filth and immorality. Everything you could think of, drugs and liquor, and it was running rampant. Can you imagine then someone who's never even seen sin coming and taking on flesh and living? And yet, he never one time sinned. Never once. Never once had an evil thought. Never once was even tempted. So holy, so amazing, from such a great place to such a filthy place, and not even touched. Our dear friend who comes here every summer, and friend of our church, Pastor Mike, missionary evangelist to India, one of the dirtiest, and with respect, I'm not talking about the people, just a, just a, it's just a dirty nation as far as the cleanliness. They have open sewers on just most, most of the place of India, open sewers. So you're just walking along, and that's the sewer right there. Pastor Mike was one place. He tripped, fell right into that open sewer, and he's a germaphobe. Now, I mean, nobody wants to fall in those things, but I'll tell you what, poor guy, he practically had a nervous breakdown. He fell right into that, and folks, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus stepped out of the glories of heaven and fell into a sewer pipe called earth. Humanity. I always laugh at these people who act like humanity's so good and so noble and doing so many good things. Folks, we're nothing more than a big old pile of sewer. Jesus came to this earth and he never knew sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God the Father hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He knew no sin. He was in this world, and he never knew sin. When I see what goes on in this world today, I'm just shocked. And every time I think I've just about heard the depth of depravity, I hear something new. This past week in Southern California, two men in a hospital room being treated for COVID, one in his 30s, one 82-years-old dear Hispanic man praying to his God. Dios, Dios, praying to his God. His roommate was enraged that he would pray to God, took an oxygen tank and beat him until he killed him. In the hospital room, he was praying to God. Folks, every time I read something, I think, how can anything get any more depraved? And yet Jesus came into this world just like that and was never touched by it. Hebrews 7, 26, we have a high priest who is holy, separate from sinners. And may I say utterly separate, completely separate, never touched. Imagine with me for a moment, you're going to go to a coal mine. I mean, if you wonder what a coal mine is like, it's just a lot of black suit. I've been one. We, I preached in Kentucky one time and Went out into one of those hollers, as they called them. There was a coal mine out in that area. Amazing thing. But if you're wondering, it's kind of like the, all the black soot. Maybe you have a little fireplace or something. But imagine for a moment 
that you're going to have white shoes and white pants and a shirt, white hat, white gloves, and you're going to walk into a coal mine, and you're going to walk through it for 33 years, and then when you come out, not even one speck of dust on you. Impossible? Yes, of course. I couldn't be in a coal mine for one second. (laughs) You can't even get out of the car without it getting on your shoes. And yet Jesus, in his purity, lived in this filthy coal mine called humanity for 33 years and never one drop of sin on him, separate from sinners. No wonder the songwriter Reginald Heber said, holy, holy, holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though this eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power, love, and purity. Someone has said this. This is worthy of writing down. The first principle of usefulness is to understand that we're not worthy to be used. The first principle of being used by God is that I'm not worthy to be used. I'm not worthy to preach. I've prayed. I've studied. I've tried to live a holy life, but I will promise you I am not worthy and neither are you. We're not even worthy at all. God is worthy. God is beautiful and pure and flawless. When Pauline and I were to be married, I wanted to get a very nice ring for her. And we were able to accomplish that. And many times I'll sit next to her in church and I'll look down and these beautiful lights and just make it sparkle. I'm always grateful for the beautiful ring we got. But I must confess, when I went diamond ring shopping, I did not have a clue about rings. Not a clue. And I did not have a clue for sure about diamonds. I remember going to the first man and person there, and they said, uh, well, what cut would you like? I said, what cut? I said, I want a diamond for her ring. And they said, well, what cut? Well, I don't know what cut. And they said, they did this cut or this cut. Well, we settled, I think it was a princess cut. It had a little point on the bottom. Then they said, well, what clarity do you want? Clarity? What do you mean clarity? Yeah, they, they actually have different ranks of clarities. I said, I don't know what clarity. I just want a nice diamond. They said, well, nice means more expensive. I said, okay, then we'll take one not so clear. And, uh, and uh, they said, well, what color do you want? I said, color? Good night. It's just a diamond. They said, yeah, but there's yellow. There's blue. There's pink. What color? I said, I don't know what color. Then they said, what carrot? Oh, come on now. Carrot, color, clarity, what? Well, you know what? Um, we finally got it. Boy, it was just a beautiful ring. I read recently that they found a, a, a diamond. And they cut it and did all the things they did to it. Sotheby's uh, sold it. It was 102 carats, and it was ranked a D on the clarity, which is actually the, supposedly the, the absolute most clear. They said that when you put it under a microscope, it is flawless. 102 carat, big old giant diamond, or big, how big that is, 102, flawless. 
And yet, even a rudimentary gymnologist will say, there's no such thing as a flawless diamond. But I will tell you, friends, if you take Jesus and you look at his color and you look at his clarity and you look at the cut of that person, you will find you can put him under any microscope and Jesus is absolutely flawless. Flawless he is. Our Savior is flawless. He is a flawless Savior. Amen. Amen. I didn't get a flawless ring, I will tell you that, but praise God. Number two, His holiness is exhibited not only in His nature, but in His name. Names are powerful things, friend. Just think of what would happen if all your life you were called stupid. Hey, stupid. And maybe you were. And if you were, I'm sorry. It's a terrible thing to do to somebody. Hey, stupid. Or some other term. Or how about Judas? Names are powerful, powerful things. Imagine then the opposite is also true. When God's name is given, it invokes a reaction. And that's why God displayed His holiness by His name. Our response then is a deep respect for who God is. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, please. We find our second episode, Isaiah 6, now Exodus 3. We're going to go back 300 years, excuse me, 700 years before Isaiah to the hot sands of the Sinai Desert. And there we'll find mighty Mo, brother Moses. And he will see God in his holiness. And it happens of all things while he's at work, tending some stinky sheep. And I will tell you, you don't have to be in church to see the holiness of God. You can, sometimes you'll find God's holiness in some of the most extraordinary places. He's out there tending sheep when he sees a bush. And for some reason, this bush is on fire. But it didn't just explode and gone. It was just kept burning. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared into him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So he creeps up closer to investigate, and that's when he hears the voice of God. Verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, it took him a while. <laughs> God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses. Moses. And he said, here am I. He revealed himself. Typical man. He had to be said twice. (laughs) My wife will say, honey, honey. Oh, what? Yeah, I was listening. Moses, Moses. (laughs) The word Moses means drawn out of the water. There's some good uh, symbolism there. Drawn out of the water. Moses, Moses, unholy, saved out of the water guy. Verse 5, and he said, God said, don't come any closer. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. God said, before we proceed with my calling you, and before we proceed with me using you, you've got to 
Know just who you're dealing with. This is not any empty thing. Take your shoes off, and the King James uh, translators use shoes, probably really was just sandals. Of course, those are a type of shoes. Take your sandals off, Moses. I want nothing between you and me. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. And then God, in verse 6, reveals to him who he is. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Years ago, I was preaching for Brother Hayden, who's in heaven now. And I, in the midst of the sermon, it was a kind of a conference. And in the midst of it, I quoted Elizabeth Barrett Browning, I think, who said, uh, God, you know, looked at the world and, you know, uh, every tree and every bush is a burning bush when God is there, you know, I mean, and she said, take your shoes off and just realize how holy God is every day. And so I said that about four or five times in the service and, and boy, I tell you what, those Mississippi people, they are the most precious saints. We gave the invitation and just about everybody had their shoes off. They were down here at the front. They were seeking God. Take your shoes off. Verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. You wondering who I am? I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And all of a sudden, Moses hid his face. Oh, my And we're so busy seeing God as a glorified psychologist and some kind of psychiatrist. Our God is a holy God. He is a pure God. We ought to have more fear of God, a healthy fear to be sure. It says he was afraid to look upon God. And here he said, I want you to make sure you never take serving me lightly, ever. Don't ever take lightly what I've called you to do. This is holy ground. This is a holy job. This is a holy ministry. Do not ever take lightly what I've called you to do. And here is my name. I'm the God of your forefathers. He gave them uh, a wonderful spiritual dressing down. Now let's go to the New Testament, Hebrews. That's exactly why Paul said in the book of Hebrews 12 and 28, We may serve God acceptably when we do so with reverence and godly fear. Godly fear, healthy fear, not not an unhealthy fear like we're afraid of getting, you know, zapped every minute, but a healthy fear, just a respect. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Beloved, tragically, I believe that for many, the modern church today has so forgotten the fire of God's holiness. We're so busy having therapy sessions, we've forgotten the theology of Scripture. But God is a consuming fire. Some have likened God's holiness to coming close to the sun. The closer you come to the sun, the more dangerous it is. Maybe that's why in the Old Testament, there was the place where everybody could come in the tabernacle. Then there was the holy place where certain could minister And then there was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go. It is said, tradition says, that the high priest would have bells 
sewed into the bottom of his garment. And he would have a rope around his ankle. So that if he violated the holiness of God and God killed him, they could drag him out. They'd hear the bell and they'd drag him. And they, as long as they heard the bell, everything was all right. But when they stopped hearing it, they'd drag him out by his foot and they wouldn't go in because they were afraid of God. Folks, our God is a holy God. The closer we get to the sun, the higher the stakes. Folks, I remind us that God is holy and God wants us to live a holy life. If we want to be used, we want to live a holy life. That's why Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 says that the God who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, he dwells in a holy place. And look at the last part of that verse. He revives the heart of the contrite ones. How counterintuitive that God makes you happy when you eat. I've said it before, only a church, only a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church can people come, get preached to, feel convicted and sinful, and walk out feeling the best they've ever felt in their life. (laughs) Because it's just an amazing thing when we sense the holiness of God and we sense our own unworthiness, we drink in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's all right to call God Father, but I remind you, it is through the Spirit that we call Him Abba, which means Daddy, and nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, friends, God is more than just a little, uh, a little God, just some uh, best friend, you know, my homie. No, God's not your homie. God is not your little, you know, plaything. God is a holy God. He is Father God. The indifference and the apathetic attitude, it seems like, that so often in churches today, it's just grieving to the heart. They got a holy God. God is so precious. The other day, uh, my wife and I were talking. I was saying, I wonder, I'd, I'd heard they'd found some gold coins in England. They're always finding these gold coins, I guess, especially in 2020. Everybody's been getting those little, you know, uh, metal finders, and they're finding all kinds of gold coins. Some guy found like 10 or so. Uh, but go- what is it about gold that has been the standard of money for millennia? We were talking about it. One thing is that gold is rare. I mean, it's very rare. And so that's why it's valuable. But it, there are things that are rare, but they're not durable. You know, there are certain fish that some of these blue fin tunas or something, I read the other day, one of them sold for like a million bucks to some sushi restaurant in Japan. I, mean, I, I wouldn't even pay for a dollar for sushi, but they pay like a million dollars. I mean, unless that thing is deep fried and some batter, brother, I'm not eating it. I don't tell you right now. But anyway, they, but it's, uh, <laughs> it is, it is rare. Gold is rare, but it's durable. I mean, fish only last a few minutes, you know, and then they're stinky. But gold, it's rare, but it's durable. But you know what? There's a third thing about gold is it is accessible. I mean, it's, at least you can get it. I mean, plutonium, for example, and other rare metals are rare, but you can't even hardly find them. I mean, but gold has all those wonderful qualities. It makes it the standard of something valuable. 
I was thinking how that's just like our God. He is rare. Our God is so rare and he is durable and he is accessible. And because of that, he is a holy God. His name and all of that he has in scripture gives that to us. He is holy is exhibited in his nature and his name. And number three, in his narrative, meaning his word. God's word, his narrative, God's word tells us how holy is. Our response then is a sincere commitment to wholehearted obedience. I'm not going to go through all the verses. Just let me tell the story, but you can read it for yourself. Go to 2 Samuel 6, one of the strangest passages and misunderstood in all of the Old Testament. David has been crowned king. Jerusalem is back under Israel's in, back in Israel's guidance. All that remains for a nation to be back to where they should be is that the Ark of the Covenant would be returned. The Ark of the Covenant is very important because it represents the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was the centerpiece of furniture in the tabernacle and the temple. It was a very important to the personality and the character of the nation and certainly for their faith. It had been absent for 20 years from Jerusalem. It had been taken and it had spent some time with the evil Philistines. They got rid of it and it ended up in a man by the name of Abinadab's home. David said, we've got to get the ark back. And so he ordered it to come back. Thousands of people were celebrating. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. But being 20 miles away from Jerusalem, they realized it going to take a little bit. It's not a big thing, but it's going to take a bit to get there. And so they decided to put it on a cart. Glaring mistake number one. Whether David signed off on it, whether he said it to do it that way, but he signed off on it and they put it on a cart. Numbers chapter 7 gives the explicit directions how the ark can be carried only on the shoulders of the Levites and only an anointed priest and only in the family of the Kohathites. And they put it on a cart, uh, uh, Amazon truck of the day, right next to the olive oil. Yeah, just put it on there. We'll, we'll get it there. It, it may be a few days before you get it, but uh, you know we'll get it on up there. And they treated it with disrespect. Two of the sons of Abinadab went with the cart. One driving, the other next to the cart. His name, Uzzah. All of a sudden, the cart wiggled. It shifted. Maybe the oxen stumbled. Maybe something startled it. Whatever the case, the oxen stumbled. It made the ark inside of the, the cart began to shake and Uzzah reached up his hand to steady the ark. Clearing mistake number two. God killed him on the spot. You cannot touch the ark of the covenant. It threw the whole nation into a what in the world? And a, definitely a moment of fear, for sure, a holy fear. But the, holy, the whole point of this story is that God was saying, 
And the Ark of the Covenant represented Jesus. It represented the gospel. It represented salvation. Uzzah made a big mistake. He had the idea that he somehow was more holy than the dirt was. Big mistake. He, re- he found out that God wanted obedience. Absolute obedience. And no human can steady the gospel. No human is, has the ability to make somebody go to heaven. Uzzah made a big mistake. Was it because it had, been, it had been in his house for 20 years? Every day he had seen the Ark of the Covenant, Uzzah, growing up. Maybe he had gotten so used to it, it wasn't holy anymore. And friends, I think sometimes we get so used to the holiness and we get so used to what God's doing, we forget how wonderful and blessed it is. I'll tell you one thing about 2020 for the church. I'm grateful It has made all of us a little bit more appreciative of the value of obeying God and gathering ourselves together and obeying Scripture. God's holiness is revealed in His Word. He had said, clearly, don't do this. Isaiah 60 and verse 6 says, God has spoken in His holiness. God speaks in holiness. When God makes a promise, take it to the bank. When God puts a prediction, a precept in the scripture. It's a thousand percent pure truth. That's why God said in Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Apparently back in that day when they would try to make silver its most pure, no of the, nothing in it that was impure, none of the other ore, the alloys, just pure silver They would have this process of heating it seven times, absolutely free. Folks, God's Word is free. For the last 4,000 years, we have had Scripture in our hands, humans. And in 4,000 years, it has proven itself again and again in fire after fire that it is absolutely 100% inerrant and true for us today. God's Word is inerrant. Not one single doctrine or promise has ever been consumed. God's Word teaches us that when we get into His Word, it is a beautiful, healthy, wonderful thing that helps us be obedient. The preaching of the Word, rather than making people feel guilty, makes us feel obedient to God. A a unique testimony this past week. I don't think I ever quite gotten a compliment like this. I'm grateful to hear it. Always wonderful. Thank you for the feedback from emails and other things. Thank you. But a precious lady came to one of our dramas. I think it was Sunday night. And uh, here's what she said. I was like, I was so blessed by it, but I think the most unique compliment, she meant it as a compliment, and really, the, the, the nature of the service didn't seem to lend what she said. But for some reason, the service, the, just the simple presentation of the gospel in a beautiful way, a drama, and then just a short gospel message, she said to me this. She said, Pastor, I've been going to this church and this church, and I've been going different places, 
And she said, I think I've had enough grace. She said, I'm ready for the meat of the word. <laughs> she said, I've just been, and I thought about that. She said, and tonight, I rededicated myself to God. It was something about just the straight forward preaching of the word of God, unadulterated, unfiltered, that just did something in her spirit. And I will tell you that people who come realize how powerful it is. God's word is beautiful. Yes, it's convicting, but friend, that's a good thing. That makes us be obedient. And that's why the apostle said in 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, holiness is a part of the Christian life. Be holy. I mean, the result of God's holiness is that we would have a holy life. What will that look like when our church and when we personally have a holy life? I believe it's going to be a new respect for God, a new zeal to please Him, a new attention to the details of His Word and a new hatred for sin, a renewed sense of humility, a new emphasis on the cross, a new desire to serve the Lord, a fresh joy in worship and prayer. And I believe it is a tremendous, gives us a hunger and a desire to tell others. Here's what I've noticed about evangelism. When we get so like the world, we almost get to the point where we don't even think they need Jesus. But when we live a holy life and when we see the sin of the world, it makes us want to give them the gospel because we know that they're lost. And that's the value of God's word. That's the value of the holiness of God's word. Maybe that's why in Revelations chapter 4, the Bible says that in heaven, these wonderful elders and others around the throne and the creatures, the wonderful angels, angel there and the rainbow around the throne. And the Bible says that they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I believe that's what's going to happen when we see the Lord lifted up. We see Him as holy. We find the kind of power and preaching and teaching and lifestyle that becomes the holiness of God. I don't predict and say that we can all, you know, have this so, uh, so quickly and easily, but I do know this. As we see God lifted up, we will have that kind of lifestyle that honors Him. I'll close with this story. It is said that one of the, of course, you, we all know that one of the greatest painters that's ever lived, artists, is Leonardo da Vinci. It is said that when Leonardo da Vinci was painting the amazing Last Supper, which Pauline and I have seen there in the Sistine Chapel, when he was painting the Last Supper, it was easy for him to paint the faces of all the different people. But he refused. He just could not bring himself to painting the face of Jesus because he said, I cannot paint God. I cannot paint the face of God. I, I, can't even, I don't even want to try. He finally brought himself to it after months, and he did so quickly as much as he could. But I feel the same way. Do I understand the holiness of God? No. Do I, do I know exactly? No. But I do know that He's a holy God, a loving God who loves us today, and He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to live a life 
so that we could be a blessing to this world. A holy life is a life that makes a difference in a marriage, in a home, in a nation. Let's be holy. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. A few moments ago, we were getting ready for the service, and Sister Nancy was playing a beautiful reminder. Holy. You are holy. I believe this morning that you ought to say right now, oh God, I want to, I believe you're a holy God. Forgive me for getting a little too flippant or a little too uh, just uh, used to it. God, I believe that you're a holy God and I want to be Live that kind of a life, a fresh glimpse of the holiness of God.